I'd like, if you have brought your cell phone with you, you want to have it handy because we're going to use it in the first part of the class. You get to um, feedback a little bit about your personal tech habits, your personal smartphone habits. It would be helpful. As I'm, I'm just trying to do an informal survey of like, am I, are, we, are we scratching the right itches in the room? <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out if you're, if you're actually getting affected by this, impacted by this, or not at all. So I, later on, I can readapt this and kind of maybe use it in a different, maybe in a more focused way. But if you have your cell phone, pull it out and uh, open up a web browser. And then you'll want to go to this website right here, www.kahootit, kahoot.it. Type in that PIN number. And then it'll prompt you to put a username in there. I don't care if it's your real name. You don't, might not want it to be your real name. You could use some kind of crazy, you know, handle, whatever you would prefer, screen name or whatever. Um, so go ahead and sign into this game. We're going to play a 10-question survey. There's no right or wrong answer. Um, I just want honest answers, if I can get that from you. And uh, I'm just going to, we're just going to talk about your personal smartphone habits. I'm going to have you, you have about 20, question, 20 seconds to answer each question, and then a Bar, bar graph is going to pop up there and see how you how your answer relates to the rest of the class. So you'll kind of be able to see if you are in the minority or if you happen to be in the mainstream about how you're using your cell phone. So got some folks showing up here already, so give you a few minutes to do that. Kahoot.it on a web browser. And then type in your game pin there. That gets you logged into the, the game. And... I hope everybody gets a chance to play that they want to play. All right. It's kind of, this was interesting. We did this to the family life group in the Sunday morning family life class. And we had a hoot. It was fun to watch and see everybody's reaction. So I think it'll be good tonight. So, all right. Need a few more minutes? Just a minute. I'll give you another minute or so. It must be an order of pins. This is it right here. 922-4337. Yep, and then it's going to ask you for a credit card number <laughs> and a social security number. Social security number. <laughs> Give me yours, he says. <laughs> now, that would be really great, though. I should have thought of that. All right, let me know. Is that everybody? This is a good group. All right, we're going to start off. Ten questions, real quick. All right, let's see. Oh, by the way, before I start, I should give one Small caveat: If if the question if the question doesn't pertain to you, like say you're here and you're not a parent, and it asks you something about how what, what you do with how you parent your kids with tech, you don't have kids, so don't answer the question. Okay, uh, just use that common sense. But uh, if, if it does pertain to you, go ahead and feel free to answer. That will help me kind of make sure we have accurate totals and whatnot at the end. Okay, you ready to start? Let's give it a, let's give it a try. Okay. All right, three, two, one. Anticipation building, feel excitement. All right, question. I think my child is addicted to their digital devices. I strongly agree with that. I kind of agree, don't know, or I disagree. And you can answer that on your phone. Do you think your kid's really addicted to their device? All right, so... It looks like the majority of our class, 11 of us out of the, looks like there's 11, let's do this math here, 6 and 11 is 17. 
So 11 of, out of the 17 think yes. Okay. Interesting. We won't we won't analyze this data now. We're just going to kind of use it as observation. All right. Next question. Here we go. I suspect that I too might be addicted to my smartphone. All right. Not asking about your kids. About you. I strongly agree with that. I agree. I don't know, or I disagree. I suspect that you're here. You might have a suspicion that maybe you might be. So I'm just saying. I'm not trying to influence you. Okay, that's what I thought. Fifteen of you say yes. I agree. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, it's not good, but it's good. <laughs> How often do you argue with your kids about their use of screen time or social media? Daily? Or once or twice a week? Rarely, if ever, or never at all. Some of you have really small kids, so maybe you're not. You can say never at all. We're having that argument right now. In real time, right here. Throw down. Okay. Looks like oh, we have a lot of nevers. That's that's interesting. That didn't happen in the last class, but that's good. Daily is very common. In my house, it's it's daily. Just to be totally honest, right? Mostly you making this this in our house, but yeah. All right. Next question. Here we go. Which of these activities are most likely? Are you most likely to do when you're forced to have to wait? Uh, you either watch or talk to people around you. You read a printed book. You listen to music on your phone or, and stare into space. Or you do something on your phone, whether it's game, social media, mess, or message somebody. You say, well, I don't do any of that. I do something else. Then you can pick one of the other three. Really? Yes. Okay. We do have some people watchers in here. Some old-fashioned folks who do have conversations with people. All right. So, that's, but it is interesting. See, seventy percent of us do tend to do this. We grab our phones, and it's the first automatic thing we're we're going to do, rather than engage someone, instruct them in conversation. So, I'm not saying that's bad in every case. I'm just say, noticing an observation there. Okay. So, we'll talk about that in, in our time later. How often do you check your phone during the day? All the time. Every five minutes or so. Routinely, every 15 and 20 minutes, occasionally every few hours, or only when I hear a noise or something buzzes. <laughs> or maybe that's not even the case. Just find it the day after that. Oh, somebody's trying to hold me. Whatever. Okay. That's good. Every few hours, mostly, or every 20 minutes. There's a few of us that do. I'm a number. I'm in this category primarily, unfortunately, but. We, we will talk about how to fix that as well. Number six, you're out to dinner with your family. Where is your cell phone? Is it out of sight, out of mind? Is it in your pocket, on vibrate? I check it under the table. <laughs> or on the table in case I need it. Or in my hand so I can multitask. I had, okay. Out of sight, out of mind. Good. Very good. Interesting. Did that surprise you? Under the table? <laughs> A lot of us under the table. Cell phone shame. Okay. Which sounds most like your morning routine? I wake up, time with God first, then check my phone. Or, a phone alarm wakes me up, I check notifications, news, my social media. 
Or, number three, I get ready for the day, then check my phone after I've left the house. Or number four, I wake up, it's not morning anymore. <laughs> okay. Didn't even get a chance to answer that one. I went by so fast. All right, eight out of ten. Here we go. How long do you think you could go without your phone without panicking? Seriously? Like ten minutes? Tops an hour? A few hours maximum? I could lose it for an entire week. <laughs> not a problem. <laughs> okay. A few hours. Mostly. No one said 10 minutes. Okay, that's good. We're not going to have anybody panic during this, the course of this lesson. When you go into a new, unfamiliar social situation, what do you do? So you're in a new, new place, new people. Do you pull out your phone to see who you can hit up with a text? Or do you look for someone you don't know? Or someone that you do know, rather, and converse with? Or you see new people and you're like, man, my new best friend's in here somewhere. I've got to find them. Or do you run screaming out of the room because it's way too intimidating to be in uh, unfamiliar, anxious, you know, just, you have social anxiety or something. Okay. okay. I kind of expect that looking at the group here. I kind of thought that might be the one. So, 10 for the uh, looking for someone to converse with. Good. Are we on the last one? Have we done them all? We got one more. Okay, your phone buzzes or dings. Did you check it immediately? <laughs> of course, why wouldn't I? Well, it depends. If I'm in a meeting or a conversation, I'll wait a little. Not necessarily only when I'm bored or have nothing better to do. Or, huh? My phone made a noise? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. That's pretty typical. I, I just was curious to know if that's, like, ordinary experience for most people. And I think, I think tonight when we get into the lesson, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And it looks like most of us are having some measure of self-restraint with how we respond with our tech, which is good and healthy and a blessing. And uh, I want to encourage that more in that regard. But I um, uh, just thought it was an interesting way to kind of give you a chance to kind of assess your own, your own relationship with your cell phone and see where you are with that. All right, so <laughs> give me a moment here. We'll pop up the... Uh, Thanks for participating. You don't, you don't have to do anything further. Yeah, I'll pop up this other PowerPoint. All right. Okay, you should have your handout with you. And we're going to go back to finish up lesson number three, the soul in cyberspace. We kind of got halfway through it last week. And... Um, then, primarily tonight, I want to j dive into the week number four, which is Think Different, Exchanging What Our Mind Consumes. Um, Holly and I were out to eat the other night, and we had, several, we had our kids with us. I think we went to the um, Moe's, we were at Moe's, and we're sitting there eating with our family. And I look over, and over in the booth, there's this really cute little family, husband, wife, two, two teenage boys. I say cute. I mean, I mean, they were sweet, sweet little family, kind of eating together. Just before, just before they were about to eat, I look over there and I see them bowing their heads. And I'm like, oh, what a wonderful thing! That touches my heart to see a family just bowing their heads, praying together before their meal. Just thought that's wonderful, and I kind of nodded over to Holly and kind of see that, and we got to talking. And I look over there five minutes later, and their heads are still bowed. I said, 
whoa, some powerfully spiritually praying happening over there. And I, I looked over there again, another 10 minutes went by, and I was like, something's up. And I really realized that everybody was bowed because they had their heads in a cell phone doing social media or whatever it was. And I just thought that was kind of silly, that, that people do go out with the family and no longer engage their family and um, have any conversations, get in their lives and talk about things like we traditionally used to do. And I do think that that's a, isn't that a rather sad statement of our society? Uh, I, I didn't look like we, we have many problems with that in our class here, but if that is something you're tempted to do, just be mindful. That's, uh, that's tragic, and uh, you're missing out. You're neglecting your children and your family and your spouse, and they deserve your attention. And uh, hopefully that's one just a little reminder uh, for how you ought to be thinking about that. All right, so we are in Thinking Different. I don't know if you guys remember back in the 90s or actually late 80s, um, the Apple commercials that came on in, on TV, if you watch a lot of TV, the Think Different campaign. Actually, this is late 90s. Apple was about to go under. They had zero. They had like 90 days left of money in the bank. Otherwise, they were about ready to close their doors. They had 13 years prior fired Steve Jobs, who was the the founder and CEO of the company, who had caused it to rise to a you know catapulted to success. And they fired him at the height of his popularity, and tried and hired a Pepsi, the Pepsi company CEO, to come and run the business, which ended up basically completely bankrupting the company. And during the early 90s, there was hardly nothing happening um, with the Apple company. However, they knew with 90 days of money left in the bank, they had to do something drastic. So they hired back the guy that they all hated, Steve Jobs. They hated this guy. But they hired him back in hopes that he could resuscitate the the, um, business. And he came on board and launched his Apple – actually, he launched the Macintosh computer. I don't know if you've ever seen the Macintosh computer. The old one. Maybe you even had one sitting on your desk. Uh, he fretted over that thing. He wanted that thing to look like a human face. That's how he, he was so interest, interested in making a designed product that would just look so attractive and appealing. And sure enough, that thing kind of rocketed to success and uh, put the put the company back on the map again. But the the whole fact the, the reason I, I I raised that is because part of that campaign was this think different commercial that came out and. The commercial always went the same way, over Steve Jobs narrating the, the, the text of the commercial. He always, they would put these famous American uh, voyagers, uh, inventors, brilliant minds. He had pictures of like Einstein and, and uh, guys like him and his caliber. And behind that, uh, he would be, there would be this really inspiring text. I don't know if you remember, the, remember it. I was going to quickly read this to you. Um, it, it went like this. Here's to the crazy ones. And if you can imagine, there's all these, there's all these people like uh, Martin Luther King Jr., um, John Lennon, Thomas Edison, Muhammad Ali, Mahatma Gandhi, Amelia Earhart. All their pictures are being showed on there. And he says, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs and square holes. These are the ones that see things differently. They're not fond of rules and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them, but about the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who actually do. 
So the whole idea of thinking different became the mantra behind what brought people's people to this product. This was a unique product. The idea that this was going to be for the elite, the people who could uh, express the maximum amount of their creativity, to be able to um, just enter into new domains that were beforehand never even known, that you were going to be on the same plane as Albert Einstein and some of these other magnificent uh, people. And so this was the idea of thinking different was so critical to the, uh, the rise, the meteoric rise of Apple. And I think that that idea of thinking different wasn't an idea that Steve Jobs himself brought to our minds. You may have thought, you may have read something like that similarly in the pages of Scripture as you um, page through the New Testament. Paul himself was one who constantly talked about the, uh, the importance of us renewing our minds, to be thinking and careful in, in ways that are contrary to what we normally would think of in a secular mindset, but to be thinking biblical thoughts, thinking godly thoughts. And so for that idea, to, to be thinking differently, I think that is a critical part of us transitioning to how do we change as human beings. It begins first with a change in the way we think. A change is not only possible, it's necessary as a part of our, of our natural rhythm of life with tech. Uh, someone has said that the only constant in technology is change, <laughs> ironically enough. But changing requires willingness, ability, and determination to first change your thinking. So we've been discussing what some of these particular heart issues are that cause us to abuse, overuse, and misuse technology. We've been talking about what happens when our hearts crave control, acceptance, and validation, uh, companionship, whatever it might be. We crave these things, and we see the, the tech tools that we have as basically, um, basically ways to get what our heart wants. Um, and they may not be bad things. Even a desire for a good thing can become a bad thing if that thing becomes a ruling thing in our life, and it drives us to do that at all costs. And so uh, that's kind of like where we, we want to pick up and begin talking about thinking different. Um, before I uh, launch too deeply into that, I'm going to talk about four categories of users tonight. And I want you to kind of think about what kind of user you are, and we will place that. I think it will be helpful in us because I'm going to talk about changing. I can't, I can't talk to a group like this with so much of a diversity People, some of you are in here talking about how you try to avoid technology as much as possible. You only connect with it because it helps you have a pathway to talk to your family and friends. Others are saying, I'm struggling because it's, like it's a daily struggle with my life. It's hard to address groups that diverse with biblical precepts for change. So I'm going to try to break you up into like smaller groups of users so you can kind of take away something practical tonight. And uh, before, I, before I do that, I want you to pop open to uh, your, your new handout that you have and give you some generic things, some general things I think will apply to the whole group. And I'm going to conclude tonight by talking about four different categories, subgroups within this room that I hope will help you specifically. Try to get real personal and specific by the end of the night. Okay, So I'm on page 19. Three ways we get warped by the web. Three ways we get warped by the web. I talked last week about how God constructed you in such a way. He made you a living soul. He knit together body and spirit, and you became a living soul, Genesis 2-7. Because of that, God fitted you for this environment in which you live. You are perfectly suited for the world in which God made you. You're, you're, he made you to be a, one who 
Um, your, your needs are met in the realm in which we, in, we inhabit. And so when we pre- decide to exist, most of our lives or large portions of our lives in a world of our own making, i.e. The, the digital realm, we are uh, missing out. I think we are warped in some ways by the way we spend our time in cyberspace. Um, and I think there's three specific ways. I want to talk about that with you tonight. Uh, why do we take on, uh, why, uh, in what ways are our souls warped by cyberspace? Why do we take on, number one, different personas than what we really are? Have you ever been tempted to do that? Like when you open up your social media profile, is that person who you portray yourself to be the person you actually are? Or do you, do you try to become something else? This is very this is one of the alluring parts of social media is that you can change your identity. You can become somebody you uh, would hope to be or aspire to be rather than who you really are. Uh, why does that experience of entering cyberspace warp who you are? Are you brave enough to examine what's motivating you to try to appear different one way online and a different per- way on, in person? For some of us, this is a problem. Why, do we are, why, why, why might we be willing to engage in activities online that we would never dare perpetrate in the flesh. Why is that such a temptation for us to act and behave in ways that we would be ashamed to do in public? But online, it seems to be we have no reservations. We have no caution. We have no check in our spirit sometimes. Why does that happen? What's warped about our person when we go online like that? Um, Why are we conscious of God's presence here now, tonight? We're sitting in church and we feel God's presence. We know he's here. He's, He's clearly omnipresent. He's here and observing and his eyes rove the earth while going to and fro the bible says beholding good and evil we understand that but but like adam we try to hide ourselves when we hear the voice of god when we are online like when we delete internet history and we dump the temporary internet files and the the cookies from the browser cache why are we hiding from god online what's going on what what's the why are we being warped through the web well number one i think Sometimes the web can warp our sense of self-control. It can warp our sense of self-control. And so um, I want to begin by just uh, explaining to you what I think that is um, as soon as I reposition here. Just a moment. Um, We tend to think, I think um, Tim's message this morning was so, so good. We tend to think more, we tend to rely on our own understanding so, so much, don't we? We become conceited and desire we desire to be we, we trust our own inherent instincts and our own ideas way too easily and we become self-confident and because of that we are blind to how literally ignorant we are and we how really incapable we are of self-control uh, one of the most beguiling aspects of the web is the way that it promises you this is this is enhanced way of enjoying your life it often has the tendency to literally suck the enjoyment out of your life though uh, because it keeps you from being able to be actually in the moment. I re- recently was watching a short interview with Tristan Harris, who's a who worked at Google as a technology philosopher on the PBS NewsHour. This guy, Tristan Harris, is, uh, has written several books on this experience of being warped by the web. He left Google because he observed how new decisions in software design are being made um, using what he calls a new technology called persuasive technology design. Persuasive technology design. These are techniques that programmers are using that he believes are forcing people to use their technology in a very certain, prescribed, specific way. The user may feel like he's at freedom 
to choose and to use technology in the ways he wishes to, but because of the way the software is designed, it's forcing them into patterns of behavior that they can't ignore. It's persuasive. It's alluring. It's very seductive in that sense. Now, this is Tristan's not a Christian. He's not trying to scare anybody from the sense of trying to warn them about the dangers to their soul. He's just simply trying to point out the fact that this is the trend in app development these days because the goal is to create a platform that uses something called engagement-based advertising. Engagement-based advertising is simply this. You might be interested in a particular item. Okay, you, you search for it somewhere on Google. That information was captured and cataloged and then packaged and sold to marketers and advertisers online who then will find ways to track your movements through the Internet and sell you that same product or similar products on other websites that you visit. You've had this experience, I'm sure, haven't you? You've been on Facebook and you're like, hey, I was just looking for that over here on Amazon. And, well, that's part of this engagement-based advertising. And the purpose of that is to keep you glued to your devices longer and therefore keep you more susceptible to their being able to market to you. If you're not on their platform, they can't sell to you. And therefore, their market goes away. So the goal is to keep you there. Harris says that he was meeting with the Google Inbox app designers who were, design, who were discussing whether to make their phones buzz, ping, or send notifications every time an email is result, received. Harris objected that this one design decision could result in billions of people's phones buzzing constantly, whether they're at home with family or on a date or in an important meeting. And he thought that this one decision has the potential of disrupting the lives of over 50, bil- 50 million people. Did I say million? I meant to say over a billion people a day, how they spend their time. So not 50 million, a billion people. He says when that phone buzzes, it's going to interrupt the lives of 50, mostly, uh, 50 million people. Okay? He said that no other time has 50 mostly male software designers had such power to influence over how a billion people a day spend their time. Guys like me sit in rooms and they make these decisions without any conscious thought of how it will affect people's daily lives. And if your phone buzzes now in your pocket or rings somewhere, it's going to take everything in your soul to not want to look at that notification, isn't it? It's just, well, for some of you. <laughs> some of us, it's just going to drive you crazy. Who is that? What is that? Is that important? Do I, need to take a, do I need to go check on something? Do I need to respond? Because it's deeply wired into us to check that phone. The average person checks their phone 150 times a day. You can find out exactly how many times you pick up your phone. If you have an Apple phone, just look at the screen time section of the settings and it says picked up the phone I don't know how many times I picked it up probably 150 times today already I'm picking it up right now and I didn't, And so just saying that this type of design is being built into these, I was going to sh- tell you exactly I'll be honest with you how much I picked up today um, and it says you picked it up uh, it doesn't matter oh, 32 times hey, I'm doing alright <laughs> 32 times. Okay, so that's not too bad. But typically, I've not, that's, not, that's a low day for me. But um, he says that the, the big tech has talked about this phenomenon that they are trying to, that everybody is in a race to get to your, they say, they say it this way, they're in a race to get to the bottom of your brain stem. Creepy, right? Sounds creepy. But the idea is they want to be able to get you practiced and used to checking that cell phone regularly so that puts you in a platform that you can be advertised to and they want to get your attention. 
It's been said that the biggest competitor with Amazon and YouTube and Netflix is sleep. That's the only competitor. So if, they, if you're sleeping, then you're not, you're not a viable customer. So there's only this fixed amount of time that you have to spend, and they're trying to battle to, against each other to extort from you as much as you will possibly allow. So if you're not consciously controlling your phone usage, you are being manipulated to surrender vast amounts of your time that you will never get back. So be mindful of that. That's how things are going. And that's a cru- it's, a, it's very um, competitive. Um, if you're not aware of that, then I don't mean to scare you, but I do kind of mean to scare you a little bit. Just make you aware of the fact that that's happening. Additionally, content creators, whether you're on the blog sphere, blogosphere or you're in news media or whatever you are, they've also noticed that this is a possible, uh, this is a, another scenario that they see and creating, is this letter B, the emergence of outrage culture. Have you guys seen this? Have you noticed the outrage culture we're, ex- we're living in? This is, um, this is an, uh, uh, an attempt to fuel a viral movement for everything that happens. Any piece of content that's written or taped or video to pl- publish in these formats is meant, they've found that if you can make someone angry, you can dramatically increase the likelihood that they will engage on your platform. Make them angry, they're going to fire off a comment, they're going to share, they're going to respond, there's going to be a long thread, there's going to be just a viral action taking place. So this led, has led to an outrage culture online. Articles that have provocative titles that elicit the most virulent response from readers are the ones that get the top trends. Anger is the most viral emotion in social media. So if they can set you off, you will send their message far and wide and you'll do it for free. So well, I, I see this all the time. And I'm prone to this too on Facebook. Like somebody put some kind of piece of article on there that just seems outrageous. How can they be doing this? And our government's off the, trail, off the rails and people get excited and emotionally in, incensed and begin to fuel this viral frenzy. And it's, that's, it's, the, the whole point is write content that's scandalous, provocative, and disturbing because your phone's trying to, trying to control your life. You're constantly being lured back, keeping you outraged, keeping you notified, keeping you entertained as your life is being siphoned away. Um, um, Christian, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 or 16 that we have time to redeem. We need to redeem the time. The days are evil. Uh, we don't need to descend into these uh, time-wasting, futile um, Arguments, debates, frustrations, struggles that, don't, uh, that ultimately don't amount to anything except for to line the pockets of people who produce this content. Um, you are not accomplishing what you think you're accomplishing by forwarding this stuff around, sharing the emails, sharing it up on Facebook. You're not accomplishing what you hope to accomplish. You're only feeding the outrage culture that is continuing to grow. Instead, I believe that as Christians, we need to be careful with our time. You are, you are steward, you're commissioned by God to be stewards of your time. You have, number one, three places to invest your time. Number one, you should invest your time with him primarily. Spend more time in the word of God and in prayer. That's better time spent than wrestling and wrangling over discussions and debates and things that you could be having online that, that will ultimately not even make an eternal impact. Number two, you should not only spend your time with God, but also with the people in your life, including your family, your friends, and especially your church. 
how much energy that is that is being lost to the church and to the service of the Lord is being lost because people are out there battling battles on the internet with people they don't know and will never likely meet when they have people in their own church family that need the ministry of the body. So if you don't think you have time to serve your church, let me see your cell phone, and we'll see how much time you spent on social media last week. And number three, you have a life to give of labor. So spend your time laboring. Hard work is honorable and good and righteous and good before the Lord. It pleases the Lord. So don't let your soul become warped by a poor stewardship of time, by a poor stewardship of self-control. We have an irresistible need for the RSS feed, the, subscri- the, the, the constant feed of new information. We're like devouring it all the time. You know what? You'd be, you would probably surprise yourself if you just practiced a regular media fast once or twice a week, not pick up the phone, not pick up, the, not turn on the television. I think that would be a healthy thing for you to do from time to time, and uh, to to wean yourself off the feed. Number two, you have a warped sense of authority, and I want you to take your Bibles, go to First Thessalonians chapter five. This is something else that uh, this is this is the message. This is the message I planned that can be like the message I get to like get stuff off my chest that bothers me. But it's not good to do that. So I'm trying to hold back and restraint. Okay? So I don't mean to be preachy, but I'm trying to be sharing you something that's really important to me. And I think it's it's I see it affecting the church. Every every month, every month people leave our church, or can leave our will probably leave our church in the future because they get sucked in to some internet preacher, some new doctrine, some new person of influence that they met through an online forum of some kind and they start listening to the teachings that don't accord with scripture but they don't know that they get sucked into this and this begins they, they accredit authority to that person they give that person spiritual authority in their life and listen to them and in some way in a lot of ways they're just kind of distracted from the flock they're pulled away they're caused to question things that they've heard and the, uh, the elders teach here or whatever it might be and, and, and there's a problem with that. Authority is challenged. Uh, technology has absolutely warped our sense of authority and reality, especially moral authority. It used to be, and it is still, that there were institutional ways, institutional ways in which someone would reach a place of authority in our, in our society. Whether you were a doctor or a lawyer or a pastor, you didn't just show up one day and make a claim to be that. And like, uh, like... As a doctor, you go through a whole total amount, a lot of training. Uh, you go through a lot of review. You go through a lot of um, residency. You go through a lot of uh, peer evaluations. I mean, you go through years and years and years of training and experience until you are finally awarded that position of medical doctor. And yet today, people go out to the internet and with no medical training whatsoever, just type into Google. WebMD pops up, and they begin to self-diagnose every situa- every medical problem they've ever had. Okay, can you see the problem with that? That how how you presume to know so much more than recognized experts who rose to that position through careful review and oversight, and they they, they went the, they went through the process where they were formed and shaped, and their minds were honed to think carefully about conditions and situations and to reason through and think about your health and to be able to help you. And so, yet we think that authority is disregarded. 
and we'll just take the, the word of some unknown un- person online who we've never met. We do the same thing with spiritual people, uh, spiritual authority. Rather than trusting the pastor that's recognized and who's gone through the, the, the accountable authority process, he's gone through uh, seminary training, and not that you have to go to seminary, but he's gone through, he's under, been under the watchful eye of a church body and has been proven, has been tested, and has been reliable and trustworthy. And he's, become, he's, he's, he's uh, um, used of God to help people's lives. Rather than trusting the man in your local church or the men God has given to your local church, you run to the internet and you listen to any voice that happens to capture your attention. And it's a problem. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Paul was imploring the Thessalonians in the same passage over the same issue. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. Among you. Not across the seas, not over the airwaves, whatever. Among you. Those who are in your midst. And they have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you may esteem them very highly in love for their work. Do you hear what he's saying? It's like, there are, the world is full of wolves. False teachers, people who are trying to lure you from the flock. I, I say this because I have a great deal of pain in my heart for souls who I've seen leave ministries that should have never left. They should have never been, had no business listening to people out there on the internet that were luring them away with deceitful lies, causing them to question the, the, the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. So the internet has changed our idea of authority. Anyone, almost anybody, can become an authoritative voice on the internet without having to go through the institutional ways to that leverage the accountability and the guarded, demonstrable ways of demonstrating trustworthy leadership. So many voices are out there that people listen to and they submit themselves to and begin to allow them to be an authority in their life. Who are these people? How do they get to be an authority? And who do they? Why? Who do you allow to be moral authorities in your life? Well. You say, well, I want to know more about this particular topic or this, maybe you, you're questioning about relationships or parenting or marriage and you run out to the internet to find an expert. Well, guess what? You've just bypassed the one that God gave you who's an expert in your local church, one of your shepherds, a disciple, someone who's discipling you, a mature brother or sister in Christ who's, who's there right beside you, who can shepherd you through those situations and we just ignore that. And we look at the number of followers these people have, and we say, well, because they have so many people, they're reliable authorities. No, no. The local church is God's ordained place where you are to look for moral authority, spiritual authority in your life, and you find that among the mature believers of your Christian, of your, of your church. So that's important to me. I see that happen all the time. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says that these ones have care over your souls. They, they rule over us in a sense that they watch for our souls. They give account. We pray that they will do it with joy and not with grief. So the web has warped our sense of authority, has it not? So think, that, think about that. Is there areas in your life where you might be surrendering your spiritual authority to someone, outsourcing that to someone online who's kind of gained your ear, but you don't get to watch their life. You don't know what their testimony is really all about. All you see is a projection of themselves through a video camera on screen, through a live stream, or a webcast, or a podcast, and you don't know who they are. So just saying that to, to try to encourage you to think through that carefully, okay? Ephesians 5.17 says, Esteem the ones among you very highly in love because of their work, 
and live with peace with one another. Number three, uh, the, warp, the, the world, pardon me, the web warps our communication. Ephesians 4.29. Skip on over there with me for a moment, if you would. Boy, I've got to move here. Ephesians 4.29. All right. So much communication on the web doesn't even comply with God's standard for communication. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 29. And you know this already. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, by the way. I think you've seen this. But the Bible tells us, let no unwholesome word, no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. If I, I, if I may be so bold to say, even from your fingertips, okay, as you type frantically on your keyboard. Don't let unwholesome words proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the holy day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So much unwholesome, ungodly, unhelpful, disrespectful, unkind communication can take place on social media. And it happens all the time from people who are Christians. Ephesians 4.29 is not telling us to eradicate a bunch of four-letter no-no words from our, from our vocabulary. It's telling us that the litmus test of godly communication is that does it give grace to the hearers? Does it edify? Does it build up? Paul Tripp said uh, in one of the interviews that I watched, he said, there's something about the fact that if you're not standing in front of me, that it makes me willing to do and say things I would not otherwise do. I think I mentioned this before. Is this is the concept that Reinke talked about is anonymous anger because social media provides this illusion of relative anonymity and no authority and no consequences. The temptation is too great to just troll somebody online without fear of reprisal. This kind of behavior leads to an avoidable misunderstandings and short fuses online. Our typing thumbs lack empathy without living faces in front of us. And it's so much easier to slander an online avatar than a real-life brother. Now, if somebody's, you know, you're online, you would never engage in slanderous things to people's faces. Because you've been taught better. You know better. But when we move to the online world, we forget that. You know, I, I was thinking about... You wouldn't listen to gossip. Someone came, came over to you and says, hey, I got, a, I got a juicy piece of information about Pastor Brody. And you wouldn't go, oh, huh? I want to hear that, you know? No, you wouldn't. <laughs> you say, my ears aren't, tra- aren't garbage cans. Don't fill them with tra- trash. You know, I'm not, I don't want to hear about that. Okay? You're not going to do that. But yet, online, we sit there and we surf through feed after feed after feed. People just venting. People just saying things that isn't any of our business. Right? So I'm just saying that we've got to be careful here that we don't participate in that kind of activity. We are under a lot of responsibility here to be very cautious in what we post online. So, with that in mind, we have a warped sense of edifying communication. On the back of your handout, there's uh, some assignments I just want to quickly... I'd like to give you a little homework or something to think about as you leave, uh, when you leave tonight. I'm not done. i got ten minutes, so but I want you to think about this. Um, This week's assignment. I want you to consider whether you have a warped sense of self-control. And this is kind of banking off of Tim's message this morning. We talked about trusting in your own understanding and 
de determining that you have better understanding and you, you're going to trust your own knowledge over God's word. I want you to set the terms for how you're going to interact with your devices and social media by finding ways to regain control over the tech tyranny that your device holds over you. Turn off notifications for things that aren't urgent. That's a simple, straightforward thing. Just find the notification things that aren't urgent, that aren't important, that you can check anytime. Turn them off. Do a social media fast. Take some time away. It might be good for you just to kind of recalibrate and take the inventory of, of your thought life and where you're at. What are, you, what are you prone to post? Delete apps that are time wasters that keep you glued to the screen. Refuse to click on any content, no matter how attractive it might be, that you know is going to send you into an incendiary tirade. Okay, Don't click on it. Just avoid it. Ignore it. Well, I don't want to be ignorant. I don't want to be uninformed. No, you're being manipulated in most cases. You, you can get everything you need in a short glance. Usually you need to be very careful what you're ingesting because you are creating a situation for yourself that is going to cause you to lose self-control. Secondly, I want you to ask the question about yourself, whether you've, uh, whether you've potentially warped the moral authority of your life. Evaluate those who you are allowing to influence you. Do you tend to disregard the legitimately approved authorities that God has put in your life in favor of online ones? Are you one who's prone to run and do self-diagnosis, whether it's spiritually or medically or whatever, whatever you do? You just go online and you seem to uh, ignore the God-ordained authorities in your life. Meditate on how this relates to God-ordained spiritual authorities that he's placed in your life and repent from that and, and, and turn your heart back to the ones who have your best interest at heart, who watch for your soul, who give account, and who take that responsibility seriously. Number three, resist clicking the share button on anything that you haven't invested carefully for yourself. As Christians, we are not only responsible to make sure we're listening to the truth, we are also responsible with making sure we don't pass along falsehood. We don't pass along anything that we are not absolutely sure is totally true. That whatever we post online is wholesome, it's gracious, it's true, it's biblical, and it's Christ-honoring. That share button, it gets us in so much trouble if we are not careful. So I hope you, I hope you hear that, not as a reprimand. I'm not reprimanding you tonight. I'm sharing this because I've made these mistakes, and I'm ashamed to admit it, but we, we need to be mindful of this as Christians, and we are responsible we have an on, uh, uh, on-looking world, marking our behavior online, and our testimony is at stake. So let's be mindful of that and be careful in doing, uh, doing what we need to do to please honor Christ. So let me transition with you momentarily back to um, the le lesson number four. And I've got to reposition these notes again. All right, so... Here we go. All right. I promised you I'd break you up into four groups tonight because there's so, such a spectrum of where you are. You know, number one, okay, I got four users, four types of users, because you might be sitting here thinking, I've heard the biblical course for change. I know that there's, there's a need to make some changes in my life, but I don't know what I need to do next. So um, how can I change? Well, um, there are seven things quickly. Let me just give you, I love this list of seven things that you need to know, how can I change? Number one, change is hard, always is, but necessary. 
breaking patterns of change is seems to be like we seems like we can do this easily, but it's impossible without God's grace and enablement. Let me remind you of a verse in Jeremiah thirteen twenty three. Jeremiah thirteen twenty three says this: Can the Ethiopian change his skin, or the leopard his spots? <laughs> can you ch- can these guys change their skin? Can they change their nature? Can they change who they are? And the answer to that, rhetorically, is, well, obviously not. Okay? He says, then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Jeremiah is telling him, you cannot change to do the good because you're so accustomed to doing evil. You, you have, you've made practice. You've made a pattern of it. And so change requires a change in patterns. A change, it's, a, it's not a simple decision resolve that tonight, hey, look, tonight I'm going to make a change, and I've just resolved in my heart that I'm going to make this change. No. Change comes as a process. It takes time. It's over time. It revolves a new learning process. And that's number two. Change requires a new process to relearn new behaviors and motivations. Patterns and behaviors that you practice today, you practice them because you learned them at some point in the past. How many of you could drive a car right now? You could drive a stick shift pretty much without thinking about it tonight. Anybody do that? Now, that's a complicated process, isn't it? I'm not seeing out those who can't. I'm just saying, you, if you can drive, you had to learn, that's a complicated process because you're checking mirrors, you're, you're, you're watching the dashboard, you're thinking about 360 awareness, you're, you're thinking about where you're going, you're talking to the person next to you, you might be scolding a child in the back seat. I mean, you've got a lot of things going on, and you do it without thinking about it. You're doing complex behaviors that you've learned to do through pattern and practice, right? The same thing with every behavior you've ever done is that you've learned it through a process. And therefore, to unlearn that requires you to go undergo a new process. To change how you interact with your device is going to require you to learn some new patterns and practices and habits. You might get discouraged about why change doesn't happen. Well, number one, either there's an unwillingness to change or you don't know how to make the necessary changes. And very often, I think it's the latter. Anything that is learned and practiced can be unlearned and unpracticed. And any God-honoring activity or attitude can be acquired by Jesus Christ. I think we, we, I'm not just talking about, I'm not just trying to teach you about patterning or changing a behavior pattern. It's a consistently Christian way of doing this through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself models, exemplifies, and then gives power and grace for you to adopt new patterns of behavior and thought and motivation for how you change. You can't leave that out. That's so critical and key to the whole process. Change cannot happen. I'm going to, I'm going to skip, no, skip that one. God calls for true change. True change is not just changing the activity, but a change of motivation, a change of life. Why do I want to change my responses to the phone? Is it because I just want to be, feel better about me and alleviate the guilt? No, I want to please the Lord. I want to, uh, re- I want to have better relationships with my family as a result. I want to have... Um, relationships that are substantial and make make eternal impacts that's a motivation that will fuel change it will not be short-sighted and quickly left aside when at the first time of um we fail because you will fail you'll try you'll stumble along in this anytime you try to change you try to no longer you repent you try to turn away from sin you'll stumble there's a stumbling process and you'll stumble again unless you remain fixed fixed on the fact that change comes as a result of God's enablement, his grace, his strengthening, and his willingness to forgive. True repentance is contrasted with worldly repentance. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, 
it says this, the sorrow for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. True repentance is produced by God in this passage. It's not, it's not something that comes uh, at a whim or a thoughtless, you know, okay, I guess that's time for me to change. No, it is something that God grants and God gives power and enablement to, 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 to fulfill. We can become so accustomed to sinful ways of thinking and behaving that we confuse them as part of our personality and heritage and nature and identity. How many people say, that's just the way I am, that's just who I am, I can't change? They assume that it's part of their nature and identity and part of who they are, and they forget that the fact that as a Christian you have a new nature, you have a new, you have access to new tools, new, a new power of Christ living, dwelling within uh, the ability to overcome sin is yours and uniquely yours as a Christian. We can we can fight sin and have victory. Um, so God not only says that change is possible, he provides the way and the means. And if I were to use computer terms, I would say that you need to think different. You need Your mind needs to be reprogrammed or reformatted. Uh, Christian counselors or biblical counselors will say you need to be rehabituated or rehabbed in the sense of rebuilding new habits, new practices, new patterns. Um, these unconscious habits that we have where we pick up our phone and just check it without even thinking about the, uh, the, what, the, uh, what that's doing, creating everything, making everything conscious and making everything aware. We can learn complex behavior by diligent discipline practice. We learned how to swing a bat and hit a ball. And we learned how to do that pattern after practice, after practice, after practice. So we need to practice righteousness over and over and over again. And through that, new disciplines are begun uh, by crucifying sinful ways, putting to death the sinful ways, and practicing instead the Christ, uh, following Christ in new ways. So these habits, these steps to practicing biblical change. Number one, become aware of the practice or habit to be gotten rid of. First of all, you've got to recognize i got a problem. And maybe you do tonight. You say, I got some issues in that area. I'm making a note of that. Number two, discover the biblical alternative. What's the biblical alternative to slandering and listening to gossip online? What's the biblical alternative to that? Truth, right? Fill your heart and mind with truth. Um, not, do not associate with that. Put, your, put away that. Put that out of your life. And fill it instead with sources and people who, you will, who, you will, who will encourage you to, to uh, grow in the truth. Then you structure your situation for change. In other words, sometimes you need to put around you some, um, some structure, <laughs> some, some environmental things sometimes help. Maybe if you have struggles like waking up in the morning and checking your smartphone for news feeds and social media and you know you'd rather it should be in, in the time in the Word, structuring yourself for change means you don't put the phone next to the bed where you'll wake up and put yourself in that temptation uh, sphere. So... Structuring the situation for change means thinking through the patterns of your life and finding ways you can break the links in the chain that lead to the sin. Breaking the links in the chain that lead to the sinful habit. Your sin follows very very prescribed sinful patterns. They stage themselves up in very predictable ways. Um, And so you can help disrupt that sequence of chain by breaking those links one at a time, and structuring the situation. It's not, I'm not just talking about behaviorism here. I'm just talking about things that are going to practically help you. Number five, get some help from others. 
You have brothers and sisters around you who are struggling with it as well, and they are an indispensable encouragement to you to help you overcome your sin. They're not going to judge you. You say Christians are our judgers. They judge everybody. Listen, if you're around Christians who are judged, they're probably not Christians. Christians who are real Christians understand that they're sinners and they are in need of grace. And we are, um, we're not going to judge. We're going to extend great understanding and mercy and kindness and care and concern and, and prayer and um, help, encouragement. Get help from others. Number six, be focused on your whole relationship and dependent on, dependence on Christ. There is never a sin in your life that you cannot get victory that you can get victory over over of. There's never a sin in your life that you can't get victory over than through a dependence on Jesus Christ alone. Christ alone. You can't work your way out of the sin on your own. Okay? So your whole dependence has to be upon Christ and his power, his empowerment, his strength, the truth of his word. And then once you've done that, number seven, practice that new pattern. And you'll practice it, and you'll probably fail and fall several times. Don't be surprised by that. No matter what the sin is, you'll probably fall several times. But practicing it will help you establish these new practices and patterns. And uh, they'll be, uh, you'll be growing in righteousness. How long does it take for a new habit to take? About three weeks to gain comfort, about six weeks to get a new habit to stick, is what some people have said. Jay Adams said it takes about six weeks to get a new habit to stick. I think I'm a slow learner sometimes, and it takes me a lot longer. However, remember, no one ever learned to skate without falling down several times. It takes persistence and perseverance. Learning to do righteousness, learning to practice the Word of God, is no different than learning any other behavior you've ever learned your whole life. through repetition, practice, learning from mistakes, adapting, seeking forgiveness, asking Christ for help, moving on, continuing forward by God's grace. And over time, through long perseverance and persistence, God gives victory and righteousness is now established and, and change occurs. But it's a process. Okay, the, I like to think of the I have decided to follow Jesus was a simple click of a, you know, flick of a switch in my mind and boom, I walked with Christ forever after that. doesn't happen that way. It's a continual life of learning and, and dependence on Christ. Now, back to the four users. I had to lay that down because that's generic stuff. That'll help everybody in the room tonight. The four users. I got number one. Which kind of user are you? Are you the amuser? Amuser. And by that I mean an amuser is someone who uses tech primarily as a way to consume amusement or entertainment, or diversion, or use it as a distraction. Is your primarily your your primary struggle with technology? Is it because is is it a temptation for you to use it in, as ways to just consume entertainment? Um, tech is in that case you struggle with excessive excessiveness, excessive using of um, maybe games or binge watching shows, reading. I even put reading on here because sometimes reading ebooks. For pleasure, can get out of hand. Um, not that the content itself is bad, but you're just excessive in it. Um, sporting events, media events, which can dominate time and attention. What are some things that we need to be working on if you're an amuser? What are some areas that should change, and how should we go about that change? Well, first of all, we recognize it's a problem, right? Number two, we need to structure the situation for change. 
There's some areas that we, we perhaps we just don't put the we take the device out of the out of the scenario. We remove the device. Maybe you need to get rid of that. Perhaps you just um, you have these cool apps that set screen limit times that you can install an app on your phone that will limit the amount of time you can spend using a particular service on your phone. Um, you're structuring those types of things to help encourage you to move in the direction of righteousness. Okay? Um, so an amuser struggles with that because they're always, they're always distracted, unattentive. They're excessive in their use of the phone in that sense. So be mindful of that. So number three, then you would trust Christ to give grace and find the righteous replacement for that behavior. Don't just think that by removing the media from your life, it's suddenly going to be easy to to fix. You move on quickly to find a righteous alternative. Spend that time instead investing in a relationship with a a disciple-y, or you become a disciple-y. You serve the local church. You serve the Lord some way. You find profitable ways to exploit that time to the fullest instead. Okay? So that's an amuser. We can find ways. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen um, young men in their 30s siphoning away their, the energy, the best years of their life spent in video gaming. And uh, their wives are in the background saying, will you help me raise our kids, please? It's tragic. You're, you're an amuser, and it's ruining your life. Um, I'm not saying that games in and of themselves, by the way, I, this comes with a little bit of a caveat, games in and of themselves are not evil and wicked. And a certain amount of that is not inappropriate. But when it becomes dominating, it is absolutely inappropriate. And life-destroying, it's destructive. So are you an amuser? Okay, number two, you might be what I call an overuser. An overuser is someone who uses tech legitimately. I mean, you're not doing anything wrong with your tech. You're using it the way it's designed to be used. But you're just using it excessively. Um, exchanging texts all day long. Te- using text messaging has been co- convenient and helpful. Nothing wrong with that. But using it constantly to carry on long conversations. I mean, you're just airing all of your heart. Every All the dirty laundry of your heart is just in a text message, and you just go on and on and on. Or perhaps, that's just using it as an example. Or you're on social media excessively. and uh, Or you're just uh, you're doing it to the point where you're so excessive with, you're the overuser, you're using it so excessively that you're neglecting other responsibilities. What does the process of change look like for that person? Well, it's very similar to what we described, right? Number one, we recognize it's a problem. Number two, we, 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 find a, we, we structure the situation to help us get victory over that. Again, that screen limit app is helpful to kind of limit the amount of time you spend on these things, to kind of cue you to be able to be move, moving in a righteous direction. Number three, you might say, I need to first I need to repent, I need to trust Christ for grace, enablement, and invest my time with a righteous alternative. What would be a righteous alternative to text messaging or excessive use of the phone? Well, you have to decide that for you. How can you profitably use your time in more um, eternal, eternal, eternally impactful ways? So that's the overuser. Let me give you just the last two quickly. I don't have time to go into them all. Number three is the misuser. So, I, by the way, I think these progress. You might start as a muser, and it starts to become an overuse problem. Then it becomes a misuse problem. Misuse is using tech in an inappropriate way. Social media becomes a platform for you seeking affirmation, attention, validation, seeking, uh, using it for slander, false reporting of information. Now you're a misuser. 
Okay. Again, the process for change is similar. The particulars take different shape, but we need to understand you need to find a righteous alternative. Structure your situation for change. Repent. Trust Christ. With asking for grace and strength to move in, a, in the direction of a new pattern and learn that pattern and practice it over and over and over again. After, a, after you, maybe you're a muser, move to an overuser, to a misuser, then I, I say there's a fourth category, and this is what I would call an abuser. An abuser is someone who's similar to the misuser category, but the abuser is similar except for there's definite practice patterns emerging Dominant desires, using illegal, illegal uses of tech perhaps, doing sinful things like viewing pornography, gambling, arranging secret liaisons with people uh, to, to, in, with the intent to commit sin, any kind of illegal activity, that's an abusive way of using tech. And I'm going to say to you that, that you didn't get there in one overnight. You got there. Okay, you got, you got there because you were an amuser that moved to the overuser, that moved to the misuser, and you've gone through the whole spectrum. Now, at that point, you need to really sever all contact with your, with your devices. With any, um, and you need to really seriously get help and evaluate. You are, um, the, the abuser is typically one who's very exploitive and secretive, and the sins that they commit online are thrive in secrecy. And they need, you cannot battle that category yourself. You need to get the help of mature Christian believers in your life with an open Bible and a caring heart that help you work through the difficulties and challenges of that. But this all, uh, the pattern for change still holds holds similar. Again, the particularities and the intensity changes somewhat. But you must not battle these sins alone. These are serious things. These are, um, and even, uh, even this, even the amuser category is something that can potentially become tremendously serious, and it, it needs to be dealt with. So, being mindful of all these things, how do I change? Well, you must begin by thinking different. Let the Word of God renew your mind. Commit yourself to following God's prescription for change. Don't just change behavior. You need new motivations to change. You need a change of who you're going to worship. You're not going to no longer worship self, worshiping God, and you're going to pursue him with all your heart. And if you need help with that, you're, not going, to, you're, going, to, you're going to find a ready supply of people in your local church ready to help you and assist you along the way. And, uh, and I promise you that. And uh, I hope that you'll, you'll begin this process of change. Particular questions you might have, be happy to answer those later or direct you to somebody who can help you get answers for that. But change is essential, so important. Next week we talk... It's going to be more, more of this in some degree, but more particularly oriented towards families. Like, okay, now I'm a mom, I'm a dad, trying to shepherd my kids. How do I practically help my teenagers and my kids who might be amusers, or maybe they're overusers or mis- misusers or abusers? So you kind of take that and flesh that out in the context of a family. Okay? Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll, we'll close up tonight. Thank you, Father, for the time we spent together in, in your word. I pray that this was helpful. <coughs> So much information and uh, maybe too much to absorb. But, uh, Lord, maybe one or two things stands out to us tonight that we should go home and begin practicing. Help us with this, in this regard. We are uncap- incapable of change apart from your sovereign work of grace in our lives. Thank you that you provide that grace and enablement and that change is always possible because the Spirit of God is willing Christ has imparted strength and ability to overcome sin. He's defeated sin. 
and sin no longer has to have dominion over us and we rest in the truth of the fact that uh, you have um, you will bless any effort from us to 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 fight sin and help us Lord to do that we trust that you'll give us the encouragement that we need from our church family and from those around us who care for our souls we thank you for this all in the precious name of Jesus amen